0: amen you know something I've been doing every morning is I always get up and say I worship you Elohim creator of the heavens and the earth and I look at the trees and I look at the grass and I look at the water I even got a little bunny rabbit two bunny rabbits that come up and today I gave them some lettuce and they sat underneath Carmen's chair the other day but I always say God I like that God I like that God I like those colors God, I like this breeze, and then I look at creation, and I'm like, man, everything that we see came out of the earth, everything, I mean, everything we build, everything we see, it came out of this earth, and I just always am worshiping God, and if you think about it, God created the heavens and the earth because He liked to enjoy the same things we do. How many enjoy some of the things we're talking about? God created those things, the mountains, the the, the strong rivers, every the sunsets, the clouds. God created all of that, it says for his glory. And then it says that he has crowned us, that he chose and he made us because he wanted us to share in his glory. So God not only loves the earth, but as his children, we get to share in his glory. And you know, we're on a series called God's Insta Church. And you may feel alone or you may feel like you don't have a family or you don't have a tribe that you belong to. But what's cool is when you become a believer of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and you're given an instant family. Somebody say, thank you, God, for my instant family, that spiritual family that's with me from now on. So what we're doing is we're talking about how to have relationship and how to live and function in a life of community. Now that could be your family at home, that could be your workplace, that could be this church. So today when I'm preaching, I just want you to think about all the places in which we can have community. You know there's one place in scripture where the Bible, where God commands a blessing. How many would like a blessing on your life? Lift your hands if you want a blessing on your life. There's one place in Scripture where God says, When you do this, I command the blessing. It's found in Psalms 133. It says, How wonderful and how pleasant it is when people live together in harmony. For it is as a precious anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard, over his head, and it ran down his beard and on the border of his robe. Now I have to tell you, anointing oil signifies the touch of God, signifies the hand of God, signifies the presence of God. So when we're walking in unity, it's like God's hand is on us. It's like His presence is on us. And it says it's like oil that's poured. You know, in the Old Testament, they poured oil on kings and on priests. But when we walk together in unity, whether it's at home, whether it's work or it's church, when we walk together in unity, it commands a blessing like the oil or the touch of God in that area or that space. So that's a powerful commandment. I remember when I first, you know, we anoint people with oil. Man, when I first started anointing people with oil, I'd kind of dip my finger in it, just barely touch them on the head. But then one day I ran across this scripture and I thought, man, let's pour the oil in the hand. Pour the oil in the hand, slap it on a head. To where oil would run off people's chins and off their fingertips. No, I didn't really do that. Actually, I did add to the oil a little bit. Somebody out there say amen. You know what else I had? Oh, I'm, my wife always says you're like a fifth grader. You know something else? I anointing people's hair. I can't help it, but in the 80s we had the big hair, and man, I had. I loved taking anointing oil when a lady, especially, would come up with perfect hair. I would like to like put a whole bunch of oil and just go splat And her hair would stick straight up and it would be like a wall and she'd walk around with a square hair on her head. But I'm going to tell you she was anointed and touched by God. I'm just kidding you. but the anointing is like that. It also says the anointing's like the water that melts off the mountain and come and brings refreshing water. How many need some refreshing water in a relationship? How many need a refreshing water in your family or your marriage? Unity is the key to where God commands the blessing. Anybody out there say amen. I'm gonna give you four, four practical ways that we form or make community and how we make harmony. One, if you have your, your notes, you can look at Church on the Rock online, Huntley on your app and you can go down and hit notes. But one, the first thing to do is we need to start focus in on what we have in common, not our differences. You can even do that in a marriage. We need to focus on what do we have in in common? What do we have in together that we do together? What do we have in common and not focus on our differences? The Bible says, let us definitely aim. I mean, you gotta definitely aim And you got to eagerly pursue everybody say eagerly pursue you have to eagerly pursue what makes for harmony and the mutual development of one another so that's something we have to eagerly pursue and go after as believers think about this we have one Lord we have one baptism we have one hope one faith one love we share the same salvation we share the same life and thank God we share the same future amen These factors are far more important than any differences that we could enumerate on. Anybody out there say amen. We need to focus and think on our likenesses, not on our differences. We must remember it's God that gave us different personalities, backgrounds, opinions, preferences, ideas, So we should not only enjoy these differences, we should enjoy these differences and not only tolerate them. Somebody say amen. How many like a field of different flowers? Amen, let's let's embrace differences and not just tolerate them. You know, the Bible says God wants, I wanna think about this, God wants unity, not uniformity. Sometimes for unity's sake, You have to let some things go let those things go that divides us sometimes we'll have to do what's best for the whole everybody say whole we want to do what's best for the whole and not what's best for ourselves the Bible says in first Corinthians 10 24 it says don't think only on your good come on think about that God's saying this don't think only on your good think of other Christians it's what the Word says. Think of other Christians. Think of other people and think about what's best for them. Can we get out of me and get into we? Can we get out of self-absorbed and get Christ-absorbed and people-absorbed? God is wanting this. You know, we see a picture of individualism versus collectivism in the Last Supper. You know, the last, at the Last Supper, the disciples were elbowing each other they were like wanting to be close to Jesus I want to make a place for my ministry my future my dreams my name I want things to go my way and Jesus was like man what's up with you guys whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom needs to become the less but Jesus knew that they were gonna have it worked out on the day of Pentecost You know when Jesus ascended up into the heavens, he said go to Jerusalem and stay there until you be endued with power from on high. They stayed there 120 days and they practiced unity. They practiced oneness and all of a sudden God commanded the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit come and filled that place. Unity comes. The blessing comes when people walk together In unity and notice this (coughs) notice this at the last supper the disciples were elbowed each other they hadn't worked it out yet but at the day of Pentecost the Bible says that Peter stood and it says that the 11 stood with him I'm telling you just a few days earlier and a few few weeks earlier these people were all about themselves but when they got in the place where the presence of god was and they got their self off me and got into we the power of the holy ghost was commanded on that place and they were filled with the spirit and when peter stood up the 11 stood with him that's collectivism that's what god's want wanting for us number two is we need to be realistic in our expectations turn to your neighbor if you're watching online turn to someone beside them beside you and say I need to be realistic in my expectations come on say it to someone I need to be real Brian I need to be realistic in my expectations amen think about this think about this Once we discover what God, listen closely, once we discover what God intends real fellowship to be, it's easy to become discouraged with the gap between the ideal versus the real. Did you get that? I want to say it again. Once we discover what God wants unity to be, what fellowship to be, It's easy to get discouraged because of the big gap between the ideal and the real. You know, even in beginning in marriage, if you're out there and you're beginning in marriage or you're newlyweds or you're in the first two or three years of marriage, in the beginning, you're just learning how to cohabitate. but you're learning things about your mate that sure didn't come up when you were dating, At the beginning, we're learning each other. We're learning to cohabitate. We're learning to be together. And at that time, there has to be a lot of grace, a lot of give on both sides as we're forming our new life together. You know, it's tough for two separate things to become one. But in relationship, God takes separate people, individuality, Not uniformity, individuality. And he puts them together and he molds something that's one. And he depicts this in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all absolute in their places, absolute in their function, absolute in what they do, but yet they're one in mind, body, soul, and spirit. They're one together doing it. So, these two shall be one. So, in growing up, we're talking about being realistic in your expectations. We're talking about what do you do? How do you live in the gap between the ideal and what the real is? You know, we talked about starting off in marriage. Well, how about growing or adapting with the change? You know, I think about the things that Carmen liked when we got married or pretended to like, (laughs) me. maybe it was pretended to like. I think about the things that Carmen liked when we was get, when we got married, but then there might be kind of irritating to her now. Kind of like we used to burp and belch and really get a kick out of that as 18 year olds. But like last night when I was, I mean I had a good one last night I mean, I was sitting there, we were watching Netflix, and I burped, and she was like, really? <laughs> so, uh, you know, things change. At first, when we got married, Carmen, Carmen made the mashed potatoes and the pork chops, and we'd go out and shoot a squirrel and skin it. And eat squirrel and the more butter and the more oil and all that she was like look at my manny. boy he's got a healthy appetite I got a strong man it's a healthy eater now when I sat down to eat a piece of pizza she's like are you gonna eat all that are you gonna eat all that do you know how many carbs that has you're gonna be sorry tomorrow come on and I gotta tell you something, guys. She's making me eat cauliflower crust pizza now. No, that's not woo. That is not woo. That is not woo. God, for shame, for shame, for shame on you people. That's not woo. I want the thick stuff with oil and cheese in it. Okay? What about old friends? For you millennials. <laughs> For you millennials when you first date you're like gaming together oh let's do some gaming together let's get online and do some gaming together and you're like all into that but once you get married or once you get deeper husband you're sitting there and you're gaming and the wife's like don't you even see the trash is full don't you even see the work that needs done around the house so living in the gap how do you live between the ideal and the real because how many say the real is a lot different than the ideal okay that's why we got to be realistic in our expectations here's something else you got to throw in that changes the landscape how many's had some challenges in life how many say some of your best relationships have had the greatest challenges. Let me see your hands. Who has, says, man, some of the deepest people, some of the deepest relationships I have, there's been a lot of hurt, there's been a lot of pain, there's been a lot of having to work through some stuff, okay, so in living in the gap, first we learn to, but then after we learn to, relationships are changing. How many know we're all changing? That's what I was trying to get, we're all changing. How do we live with the change? We gotta grow in the change. We gotta adapt in the change. You might wanna write this down. Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is evidence of immaturity. Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is an evidence of immaturity. On the other hand, don't settle, settling for the real Without striving for what's ideal, that's complacency. So we got immaturity and complacency. We got a balance here. Maturity is being able to live, adapt, and change and function within the tension. You know, in our mind, we have the ideal, but it's not your real yet. We have to understand that people are going to disappoint us, let us down, hurt us, but that's no excuse to quit fellowshipping with them or or to break... Out of relationship the Bible says be patient with each other make allowances for you for each other be patient make some allowances for each other's fault because of your love you know so many people become disillusioned in relationship and I, I'm telling you, there's it's understandable it's the understandable reasons why people get discouraged you know the list gets long you get discouraged in relationship man there's conflict there's hurt hypocrisy or neglect or pain or pettiness or misunderstanding or betrayal. But instead of being shocked and surprised, we need to remember that relationships are made up of imperfect people. And that includes me, and that includes you. We need to realize, you know, people go to church and they think, oh, they act so surprised that somebody bit their head off at church. Or they act so surprised that somebody was unkind at church. Really? It's going to happen in church. Your wife, your husband that loves you. Don't be surprised if there's hard words or bad day. Don't be disillusioned. We're, we have, we're imperfect people. Sometimes we have to admit we hurt each other. You know, sometimes we hurt each other intentionally. You know, if we're honest, sometimes we hurt each other intentionally. But sometimes it's unintentionally. And I want you to give a lot of grace, a lot of grace to each other. Freely we receive, freely give. The Bible says as much as it possible, live that depends on you. Let's live peaceably with one another. Anybody out there say amen. Praise the Lord. The Bible teaches us. I want you to really hear this right now. Here's what's going to give you the power. You know, the Bible says that God gives you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So we're talking about living in this gap between the ideal and the real, and not having false, uh, imperfect expectations on each other, unrealistic expectations. We're talking about that. Well, let me give you something. I want you to really listen to this. Let me give you something that will help you be able to live in the gap, okay? Okay? How do I live in my relationships with my wife or friend or church member or somebody at work? How do I live? The real is this, this is what it really is and it sucks sometimes. This is what it really, this is the real. But I really wanna strive for the ideal. How do I get to that? How do I, what do I do? This right here hit me so hard. The Bible teaches, until I reach perfection, He covers me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that we, that we have been made perfect forever through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. While we're being perfected, God covers us and sanctifies us. Now listen to this scripture. Philippians 3:12. Listen to this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved the ideal. Everybody say, Hey, I'll have to say I haven't achieved the ideal. We haven't reached re- achieved the ideal in our marriage. We haven't. I haven't re- achieved the ideal in a partnership or relationship. I haven't achieved the ideal yet. That's Paul said here. I don't mean to say that I've achieved this yet, or that I've already reached perfection or idealism but this one thing I do is I press I want you to hear this out of NLT I press to possess that perfection I can't say I'm there but I'm pressing to get there anybody out there I can't say I'm there but I'm pressing to get there I can't say my marriage is there, but we're pressing to get there. I can't say my relationships are there, but we're pressing to get there. That's what it's saying. (coughs) But I press on to preach (coughs) that perfection. Look at this. For which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Revelation came to me on that like two weeks ago. And I started thinking, man, Christ, you possess me. Think about that. How many want to be possessed by Christ? Come on, put your hands up out there. I want to be possessed by Christ. Whenever you become a Christian, we have to realize that Christ embraced. He possessed us. Listen, what. In knowing that knowing that Christ possessed me I am striving to possess that perfection so there's a rest in the morning when I say I worship you Jehovah to Sid Canoe for you are my righteousness because Christ has possessed me I am righteous even when I'm doing unrighteous things he possesses me. And then I go in and I say, Lord, I worship you, Jehovah Makedesh. And Jehovah Makedesh means the Lord who sanctifies. And I say, Lord, because Jesus, because you possessed me, as I'm possessing righteousness and holiness, I thank you that you possess me first and that I am that now. And then I go into peace and I go into that. But the point is, until while I'm striving to reach that ideal, Christ's mercy, Christ's grace, Christ's goodness, Christ's kindness, Christ's self-control, he puts all that down and he looks at me through eyes of love. Are you all out there today? I'm saying this if Jesus does it for you you need to do it for others Christ possessed you while you're working it out let us embrace each other and possess each other with strong arms of love while we're working some things out anybody out there so when you get torqued in a relationship or you get torqued with your spouse Or you say, I'm at wit's end. I am done with this situation. I want you to pause and think that Jesus Christ possessed you and he never runs out on you and his love covers and his mercy and goodness endures and that which he gives us, we need to give it to others. Anybody out there say amen? That's the key. I want to read you something. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred for resisting Nazis. He wrote a classic book on fellowship, and he entitled it Life Together. Listen to this. Listen closely to this. I almost wanted to write it down. Listen closely. Don't pay attention to the cameraman. Listen closely on this. Listen to this. In his book, he suggests this. Focus. Delusionment, delusionment, in relationship is a good thing. Say what? What? delusionment in a relationship is a good thing because it destroys our false expectations of perfection. The sooner we go, we give up this illusion that a relationship must be perfect and in order and just like this and just like that, the sooner that we're gonna quit pretending and start admitting that we're all imperfect people and we need to give grace and receive grace. And then he said this, this is the beginning of real community. Are y'all there? So the first thing, the first thing is we need to celebrate what we have in common, not our differences. The second thing is we need to be, don't not be unrealistic in our expectations and we need to practice that message that we that I was putting there. Here's the third thing. Is we must choose to encourage rather than criticize. I never seen people nitpick. Sometimes you see people nitpicking in a marriage and you're like pick 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 pick. You know the Bible Paul said, "Man, if we keep picking and biting and devouring each other, we're all going to be consumed." In relationship, we can't pick I mean who gives you the right who gives you the right the Bible says in Romans 14 four, listen who gives you the right what right do you have to criticize someone else's servant who do you think you are to pick 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 what plane do you think you're walking on what air do you think you're breathing What society do you think you're living in? It's kind of the attitude in this scripture. It's like, what right do you have? Husband, what right do you have to nitpick your wife? Spouse, what right do you have? What right do you have, Church on the Rock, to look down our noses about people that are walking out their faith differently than you do? What right do you have to look at what people wear or look at what people do? Who are you? Who are you? God says in his word, who are you to judge my servants? We are all the children and the servants of God. And when we knit and pick each other, God says in his word, what right do you have to do this? What right do you have to Who do you think you are to judge the church the leadership your boss your cohort your co and you know what you may think you have it together and everybody else knows you don't and that's the sorry thing it's sometimes the most obnoxious or the most undone anybody up there say oh me come on when we criticize what other believers and do are doing in faith And they're living for God from sincere conviction and pure heart and the very best that they know how how to do then you my friend are interfering with God's business God's business whenever I judge whenever I criticize others whenever I look down my nose four things happen instantly one the minute I do that it hinders my fellowship with God God don't like it. The second thing is I expose my own pride. I'm really exposing my own pride and my own insecurity and my wanting to control and make my world what I want it to be instead of what God wants to be? The third thing is I set myself up. When you do it to others, the third thing, when you, when you judge or criticize others, the Bible says that you set yourself up to be judged of others. Hey, guys, listen to me. Did you know that there is a spiritual law? How many believe in gravity? If you don't believe in gravity, climb up the stairwell and jump off the church, okay? But if you believe in gravity, that is a law of nature. How many believe in gravity? Here it, hey, are spiritual laws any different? Come on, I can't hear you. Why do we believe more in gravity than we believe in spiritual laws? I want to ask you again. Are spiritual laws any different than natural laws? I would even say they're greater. Spiritual law says this. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow gossip, people that talk to you about others are gonna talk about you to others. If you gossip, people are gonna gossip about you. If you're critical, people are gonna be critical on you. If you're controlling, you're gonna be tried to be controlled. If you're mean and nasty, people are gonna be mean and nasty to you. But let's flip that. If you sow love, what are you gonna reap? Come on, if you sow love, what are you gonna reap? If you serve sow joy, what are you going to reap? Joy. If you sow peace, what are you going to reap? Peace. If you sow patience, what are you going to reap? Patience. How many want to start reaping something else? Can I hear you say amen? <coughs> That's the word of God. So one, it hinders my fellowship. I expose my own pride. I set myself up to be judged by others. And I'm harming myself, my partner, and my friends. Hey.